Welcome to the Tuesday Memo Podcast. I'm Eric Fruits, a Portland area economist and trying to be a business owner, also a part-time professor at Portland State University. And I'm Ann Sanderson, and I'm a small business owner here in Portland, and I'm also um, really disturbed this today. We have topics today, Eric. We have topics. We have a theme, and the theme goes back to when I was in England, there was a beer called Banks is Mild, and their motto was, unspoilt by progress. And I think that's the motto that the city of Portland can take. We claim to be the most progressive city, at least on the West Coast, but a lot of times we are stymied by progress and really don't know how to be progressively progressive. Well, when progress comes to get us, then we're confused. <laughs> progress <laughs> comes to get us, kind of like the dog that chases the car and catches right, it. Right, we don't know what to do. Tail in Portland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're a bunch of tail chasers, uh, and we have some examples of tail chasing, which I, which are really sad, but interesting. You know, any one of these examples on its own, you could say that you know things happen in the world, and and sometimes it's hard to catch up. But here in Portland, it seems like you know every day there's some there's some new technology or some new disruptive industry that is catching our city council off guard and by surprise. And every day they're coming a day late and a dollar short. And it's really, when you add it all up, we just wonder what they're doing with their time. Well, yeah, there's a kind of a Rip Van Winkle aspect to it, right? They, they kind of go into the slumber and then someone shakes them and wakes them up and, and they... They, they're kind of like angry and they have to flail around and like, oh, we got to do something about this now. You know, we talked about the homeless problem that's been a problem since at least the 1990s. And now all of a sudden and the mayor's waking up and saying, oh, my gosh, homelessness is an emergency, even though it's been an emergency for 20 years. Right. And I think the first the first example that we saw of this was a couple of years ago with Airbnb. Airbnb, granted, it was a new kind of business model and, and was creating creating new industry, really, for people in their own homes to to rent out uh, a a bedroom or even an apartment um, to people instead of using hotels, which is a kind of a cool thing. But this was going on in other cities for a while before we got to Portland. And then Portland's like, oh, no, what do we do? We don't know how to regulate this. We're going to have to think about it, which is great. Think about it. But it caught them off guard. And just recently... Charlie Hales of Mayor of Portland was on OPB Think Out Loud, and the host, Dave Miller, asked him about uh, Airbnb and how that was going and how how was it possible that uh, only 30% of all the people participating in Airbnb had their lodgings registered with the city as is required, and why wasn't it being enforced? And Charlie Hales was sort of stunning in his, well, well, we don't quite sure how to do that and how to get people to be regulated. And, you know, honestly, it takes an admin person and a, and a fake account on Airbnb. I'm pretty sure that, you know, for a couple hours a day, we could catch a lot more of you don't even need a fake account. A real account. He can open up his own account, right? He can open up his own account uh, and log on to Airbnb and say, I want to find a place to rent in the city of Portland. And then um, he goes on and then he says, oh, this person's not registered. This person's not registered. Hey, what's my next door neighbor doing here? Right. You know, you're gonna, it's going to be one of those things that's probably a little shocking. You know, there's city of Portland is a very strange place, and maybe other cities are like this too. We love to act like we're doing something, right? We're progressive, so we have to make progress. And we make progress by writing rules and laws, and we never follow up. We never follow those rules and laws. You know, you look at something like the arts tax, where you have 
only two-thirds of the people who are supposed to be paying it are paying it. You have Airbnb registration, where only a third of the people who are supposed to be signed up with the city are signed up with the city. Yeah, well, and actually with the arts tax, compliance is going down. Of course. <laughs> no of one's course. paying it. And everyone who lives in the city of Portland probably has a yellow bucket next to their garbage that's for glass, for mm-hmm. recycling glass. Next time you take out your garbage, read the side of it. There's a $500 fine for stealing anything out of that yellow bucket. In other words, when the homeless guy comes and pulls the bottles out, he could be subjected to a $500 fine for stealing those bottles. Do you know anyone who's ever been arrested and fined $500 for doing that? No. Was that rescinded at all after the the yellow buckets aren't used as much? Or, I mean, was there any change? I bet you if you look, the law's still on the books. You know, I think that makes people contemptuous of law. I think, what is? Yeah, everything, when you have laws, they need to be sensible, they need to be enforceable, and they need to be fairly enforced. And when you have some people complying, but most people not, is with the art tax or with Airbnb, then it makes people contemptuous. Either you can cross against the light or you can't, but if everyone just does it willy-nilly, then people are contemptuous of the the fact that there's a light at all. Want to enter into mind equals blown mode? Yes. Yes. Blow your mind. I bet you you could find one business, industry, that is heavily regulated by the city where there is almost 100% compliance. Which? Uber. Uber. Uber, right? Uber, which is next on our list because when Uber came into town, they they tried to work with the city for 18 months and, and uh, Commissioner Steve Novick was in charge of that. And um, he actually has admitted that he had never used Uber. He had said some not so much nice things about Uber, even in the New York Times. And, and there was a... And of course he pulled out the Nazi card. Yeah, he, he did. loves to pull the Nazi card. I, let's not say that, but but it's still that being that being said or not said, but he was <laughs> he was unprepared for Uber to come in and was and they were not moving. City Council was not moving forward on regulating Uber in any significant way until Uber just decided to start up anyway. So to get the attention of City Council in this town, sometimes even even big legitimate businesses have to do kind of radical things. Well, Novick was doing a version of, Novick and Hales both were doing a version of what I call the Portland no. In other words, in, in Portland, if you ask someone to do something, instead of saying, no, I can't do that for you, they say, oh, yes, we'll do that for you. And then they don't, and they hope that you forget about it. What they were trying to do with Uber was they're saying, oh, we'll deal with it. And it was just a big stalling tactic, hoping that Uber was going to go away. But you progress doesn't grow away. Progress progresses. I disagree. I don't think that they were just hoping it would go away. I don't think they understand it. Amanda Fritz, city council member, actually said during a council meeting over Uber, when I was a girl, I was taught not to take rides with strangers. And that was for her a reason that we shouldn't be allowing Uber into the city of Portland because these would be somehow more strangers than a cab driver. And when you have that kind of mindset of old paradigm thinking, of anything new is scary, then you are not qualified to govern in a new paradigm 
world. We are in the future now. And these things were coming faster and faster. They say that kids going into college today are learning trades that don't exist yet, that they will be getting jobs that haven't been invented yet. So if you are in city council, you should be ready to govern over things you don't expect. But here's the thing. They expected all of these things, right? Well, they had warning. Uber's been in the news for years, and they've seen city after city falling down to Uber and having Uber come in and do things and make things better. They can't say, oh, we were surprised. We had no idea Uber was going to come to Portland. They can't say we had no idea Airbnb was is coming to Portland. Heck, one of the the managers of Airbnb was dating the mayor's daughter. He, he The mayor had to know Airbnb was coming, <laughs> right? Guess who's coming for dinner? Uh, you know, we they see these lights coming down the tracks, and again, they're hoping that they could just stand in the tracks and maybe the train will stop. But progress progresses. Progress yeah. progresses. That's a good way to put it. It's coming, and there will always be changes. And you're right. They do have notice. For example, the latest example of their inability to be flexible and think quickly is the the marijuana sales that are going to go retail legal um, in just a couple of days on October 1st. And, you know, this has been coming, long time coming. It was on the ballot. It was passed by voters. About a year ago. About a year ago. It was signed into law by the governor on, on January 1st. And then it, there was this uh, June 30th of, of regulations being in place by the state. And here it is two days before. Two days. Two days. Tomorrow is the city council um, session where they plan to actually enact the city regulations. So we have we have numerous new businesses all over the city ready on October 1st at midnight to flip on their lights and welcome new customers. But, but, put some brakes on that progress. What? What, Eric? <laughs> right? Because they're voting on this tomorrow, Wednesday. Legalization is on Thursday. Yes. The new regulations that have not been voted in yet actually have hours of regula- hours of operation rules in there. Right. Going into a day before a day, day before. before opening, operators still don't know what time they're allowed to be open. Right. So they've been advertising and planning parties. I mean, obviously they're exuberantly excited to open their doors and they want to do it at the first possible minute, which would be 12.01 on Thursday, 12.01 a.m. And the city of Portland is saying, no, we're going to fine you even if we don't get these regulations passed. So even if council doesn't take into, doesn't go ahead and, and put those on the books, they're going to end up being retroactive. So they will be fined. It is an inflexibility and sort of like this kind of hard ass, like, you know, we're going to be tough and we're going to be the dad and we're going to tell you how to do this, but we're not going to tell you until it's, you know, the last second. I'm not going to tell you what you did wrong until I'm spanking you. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it is just, it is not, it is not forward thinking. It is not embracing the future. It it's is not progressive. It's not progressive. It's and funny how the conservative in the here is actually more progressive than the progressives. It's true. Isn't but it? why is that? Why? Because we recognize that the world is always changing. Technology changes and that things coming, you need to plan for them. And Except for socially. 
conservatives tend to be socially conservative. Speak and for yourself. Not everyone. I'm just saying the the bulk of uh, the GOP frontrunners are not exactly embracing change. Well, no. no. <laughs> so well, I think yeah. maybe we're going to have to retract that statement. No, that's fine. But As a matter of fact, what I want to do is I think, you know, Trump wears that hat, right? Make I thought a- that was his hair. No, well, he covers up the hair now with his hat that says, Make America Great Again. Yeah. I want to get one that says, Make Portland Great Again. I think it'd be a huge hit, wouldn't it? Well, it'd be better than Keep Portland Weird. There's certainly, certainly better than that. But I think a lot of people think Portland is great. But the the thing that I guess I'm, I'm pointing out is that to continue to be great is to embrace the future rather than hide from it. And I think, I think I've made my point that, that when we go to elect leaders, we need to not only know if they can lead, but if they can lead into the future. So I would say, as we look into this next election cycle, that we look at criteria. What are the things that we need to come to have from leaders that would make them able to handle this? Are they able to handle change? Are they flexible? Can they think outside the box? Can they use their smartphones? Because not everyone on council can. Can they demonstrate that they can stay ahead of the curve? And do they embrace technology in general? Well, I think it's okay not to have a smartphone, but you have to at least understand that a lot of people have them. I think you have to understand how it works. And, you know, you know, there are people of a certain age who can be very creative and then they come up with an idea and you just look at them and you say, isn't there an app for that? There's, you need to be aware of what's out there to be able to think of how to solve problems. Okay. Let's change subjects now and get into the weeds, so to speak. Let's talk (laughs) of Portland politics. We're talking about the the upcoming election, which is in May. I can't believe we're talking about it. But, yes, let's do. Um, I think the first item of business is uh, fundraising. And the big issue in fundraising right now is in the mayor's race, where you have the incumbent, Charlie Hales, running against the current state treasurer, Ted Wheeler. And Hales has been collecting money for a very long time already. Oh, he's been getting like five and $10,000 checks. A lot of a lot of big checks from very few people. And uh, who are those people? Well, 55% of his money is coming from real estate and development interests. It's shocking. 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 <laughs> shocking, I say. Why would they be so happy with Charlie Hale staying in office? They're probably not happy now that he wants to tax them $25,000 a lot every time they try to redevelop something. But we'll see. <laughs> well, which may explain, which may explain. Th- the news, which is that... For some reason, it seems that Charlie Hales' fundraising has pretty much dried up. At the same time, Ted Wheeler, his competitor, uh, has fundraising that's really ramped up, and he's getting some small donations, too. So he's getting quite a few people giving small amounts of money. He's got other people giving large amounts of money. And so there's a speculation, is has, has the fundraising race switched into Ted Wheeler's favor? Well, I think it's easily explained by hashtag anyone but Charlie. Well, it's, if you look in the news, it's funny how you see some of these people spin it. One spin is that Charlie Hales raised a bunch of money up front because he was really concerned about making sure he did his job as mayor. And so with that cushion of money, he could focus on the important issues of the day. In other words, he could wake up and start doing something because the last three years have been a waste of time. He's been asleep. Uh, and so now he's got like, oh, I, you know, look busy. The boss is coming. Um, and so that's the spin from the, the Hales camp. Uh, I have a suspicion that there is this hashtag anything but Charlie out there. And, you know, right now, and we'll talk a little bit about this maybe next time on the, the gas tax, Charlie Hales came out saying he was against it. We've talked about this. Hales was against it. 
Wheeler was for it. Fast forward two weeks, Hales now says he's for it. So the one thing that they actually differed on, they are now the same on. And so you've got two candidates who are virtually identical, currently Democrats in a nonpartisan position that were formerly Republicans that had almost the exact same position on everything. The difference is you have one guy who everyone thinks is nice and one guy who everyone thinks is mean. And I think in the context of nice versus mean, nice will probably win. It, it, because it is Portland, and we're nice. We are and, nice. And it's amazing to me, daily basis, that people come up to me who are rabidly anti-Charlie Hales for whatever reason that their their passionate reason is. They they really just, he's not, people. he doesn't have a lot of fans out in the, in the wild. So It's strange because there are a lot of people who didn't really, really, really didn't like Sam Adams. But Sam Adams... Also had a lot of fans. There were people who thought, you know, he was the greatest mayor we've ever had, thought he was a fantastic person. A lot of people thought that. I don't think you see many people say, oh, wow, Charlie Hales, he's a real swell guy and stand-up dude. I'd do anything I can for him. That's kind of sad, isn't it? What is sad? Well, it's sad. I mean, it's sad because, you know, he's tried his hardest to do it. His style just isn't very Portland. And I think that's part of Wheeler's appeal, even though you've said in the past that they're, and, and today even, that they're, they're very similar. But it is true. Portland nice will, I believe, win. Well, there's no difference in right now. I cannot believe it. I'm saying this. Right now, there is zero difference in policy ideas between any of those, at least that have been identified. Well, there's the, a long way to go, though. There's a long they way to go. Separate, but you'd think out. someone would at least throw that wedge out there. So the only difference is in personality. Okay, changing topics. The other thing is now we've got Amanda Fritz, who is a city commissioner. She's uh, been reelected once. Well, the first time she was elected on public money, we had a, a little thing in Portland that um, was an experiment for a couple of cycles where it was a publicly financed election, and she was the beneficiary. Taxpayer-funded elections. Right, and she was the beneficiary of that, and she was elected. She was elected, and then the next time she ran, she raided her retirement account because she doesn't like to go ask for money from people. Right, and and this time it's interesting that as as – Last week, at least, she did not even have a campaign fundraising committee le- registered with the state. Right. So she has no finance committee. So if you want to she look, is running. But she is running. So, but if you wanted to go support her campaign, there's no, right now, there's no place to write a check. But Commissioner Novick found Someone wrote a check, and that someone <laughs> is Steve Novick, who wrote a $5,000 check not to the campaign. From his campaign. From his campaign. Mm-hmm. From the Steve Novick campaign to Amanda Fritz, RN, registered nurse, city commissioner, as an individual, gave her $5,000. For what? Well, not for commissioner work and not for nursing work, for surveys and polls. You know, Novick needs surveys and polls. He loves surveys and polls. And I never knew that Amanda Fritz was such a specialist in surveys and polls that someone would pay her $5,000 to do one. It is kind of interesting. But, you know, not that Novick, it's not interesting that Novick is looking for more polls because he started his whole street fee fiasco on an 800, on the basis of an 800 person survey, telephone survey, which was more of a push poll that gave him the answer that he wanted. As a matter of fact, they had to ask the questions twice because the first time he didn't get the answer. 
answer he wanted. So then they asked the same question again at the end and got a, a better answer. Right. So people were changing their answers mid midstream. But so now he. So even though he paid her five thousand dollars, he's still asking. He's gone out to the neighborhood associations and the business associations, and he's asking them whether they would support you know, one of four or five different um, possibilities for funding the streets. And one of them is his his favorite income tax. And one of them is reducing police and fire protection. So when you get to that answer of, of all of his possibilities, you just have to laugh because it is, again, you know, you're obviously not going to pick that because who wants less police protection than or or fire protection for your? Well, it's the it's straight out of the Charlie Hale Steve Novick playbook. Set up a bunch of false choices and say, oh look, they all pick the one that I want. Surprise, surprise. So, but he he's paying Amanda Fritz five thousand dollars to do surveys and polls, but then he's also having neighborhood associations do these surveys and polls. Essentially for free. For free. For him. And it's so scientific. How come they don't get $5,000? Well, you know, as as someone who is part of a business association, yeah, I'd like to ask that as well. But also, how scientific are the answers if, you know, the people responding are self-selected? So, Well, if you've ever been to a neighborhood association meeting, you know that it's the same five people. Right. Or, you know, 10 on a good day. But it's, That's it, if they're donuts. <laughs> But given that, you know, what kind of answer is he going to get? And and I, I firmly believe that sur- that you should listen to the people, but these hiding behind these false survey answers is not leading. And when you lead, you come up with an idea and then you bring everyone along. And if you can't do that, you're neither leading nor having a, an actual solution that will work because you need the people to embrace your solution. It didn't happen on the street feed then. And by taking these informal surveys, or I, I don't even know what the survey that he paid Fritz for, but that is not leadership. And it's a drift. It's a drift. City council, every single member of city council, just about, is a drift. They're sitting in their boats, they're bobbing along, and they're just going whichever the waves take them. And they might stick their hand in to try to move their boat one way or the other, but it's not working. The waves are taking them places where they don't want to go and they don't even know where they're going. It's amazing. It's just a lack of vision. You know, it's sad because I like to be positive. Let's be positive. I like to be positive, and I and I prefer not to spend all this time being negative about council. But it, when you wake up every morning and there's another example of how they are simply not getting it, I think that it is it is warranted to spend some time talking about that. So we talked about criteria of what we'd want in elected officials, but I think that we should add to it: be a leader, but not a. I have this idea, and I'm going to make you all do it. It's I have this leader, I have this idea, and we should embrace it and, and, and come with me because it's a great idea and it's going to solve problems. See, yes, here's a wildly progressive idea. Why don't we have someone run for council who's actually positive? Someone who says, this is a great city, but let's make it great again, right? Let's. There are some great things about Portland. and There's always been great things about Portland. Portland is a great place. People come here but for you don't hear, what, and, and you don't hear from us as much as you should. You don't hear right. from the politicians. Why doesn't someone run for a council and say, yeah, this is a really swell place, but we're going to make it sweller? 
I think they think they're doing that. And in, and in ways, it is a difference in vision because, because the people who've lived here for all of their lives, or for the last 20 years at least, have a different idea of what made Portland great than what is making it great for a lot of people coming in. And I think we need to respect the fact that people come here for parts of Portland that aren't necessarily the parts that, that brought in the people in the 70s or the 90s. And so to be positive, you have to embrace both that. You, you cannot be a leader if you don't understand what drives the millennials. You cannot be a leader if you cannot embrace the Gen Xers or the creative class. You cannot you know, you and I joke about the streetcar a lot, but you cannot be a leader if you don't both embrace the streetcar, but understand the tenor of East Portland. And that is the challenge is that, that you need to lead for one Portland and not this, this only a section of it. And you need to lead rather than to kind of flail around, like you said. Well, there really is. I think that's a talk for another day. I'm hearing more and more from people that there really are two Portlands now. That there's and not just an old Portland and a new Portland. Uh, there's a rich Portland and a poor Portland. Yeah. There's a young Portland and an old Portland. And I think there's a lot of different two Portlands out there that um, may need some uniting, uh, may need some dealing with, may need some progressive thought. I would agree with you. And progressive and not in a political sense, but progressive in, in progress. a progress sense, yes. And I think on that note... That's a great time to end. Thank you very much. Unspoiled by progress. <laughs> So this was Tuesday Memo, and we are a podcast that is now available to subscribe to on iTunes. <laughs> you can also get updates on our Facebook page, Tuesday Memo, or on our website, TuesdayMemo.com. See you next week. Bye-bye.